Hey lovely listeners, welcome back to Knickerbox Glory, the podcast that explores the world of sex, dating and love at the intersection of well-being. Today I'm joined by a very good friend of mine, Joe Clark. How are you today, babe? I'm good, thanks, Anne. How are you? Good. Could you tell our lovely listeners a little bit about what you do, specifically in anthropology? Yeah, cool. So um, day-to-day, I'm an accountant for an agricultural tech startup called We Farm. Um, before that, a bit of a rogue one. Um, I trained <laughs> as an anthropologist at UCL, and I studied specifically um, HIV and risk-taking behaviour in the gay, cisgendered, white community of London. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's how this is a bit relevant, really. Um, <laughs> but you are a very well-rounded individual, aren't you? I do try. I also teach yoga on the side. <laughs> if you are, if you guys yeah, are looking for like a private yoga <laughs> tutor or maybe some steamy sessions for yeah. the guys. Obviously, when, maybe when I progress to that hot yoga level, really. Um, <laughs> right now, it can be lukewarm. so today we're going to be discussing sexuality and dissecting what is essentially another social construct which assigns us labels that supposedly define us joe why do you think we as a society have become so obsessed with labels for sexuality specifically i don't think our obsession with labels is necessarily limited to sexuality Mm. i think that the idea that we want to label and categorize things is kind of a factor of the human mind where it is today if you chart throughout history our evolution from being hunter gatherers where we could hold like two completely opposing thoughts in our mind and like be okay with that um labels didn't exist in the same way they did then like things were much more conceptual people had conceptual ideas about how things worked and causality Nowadays, as we move through like capitalism, the idea of private property, basically as humans evolved, we like to put things into neater boxes because it works better with our minds. Like when we have more information to process, when we need to perceive this complex world around us, being able to typify and categorize things makes it easier. Um, it helps define us as who we are by the labels we ascribe to ourselves. It's a facet of identity um, when you look at people from an individual aspect. And I think when it comes down to sexuality, um, more typically over the past like century really maybe like century before that like 19th century to date um there was this kind of period where people didn't talk about labels of sexuality things kind of just existed like in literature you don't really see it or the literature where you do see it it became subverse as where people people spoke about same-sex relationships or anything that kind of differed from this heteronorm um, and I think over the past century, specifically with the idea of gay rights, with the Molly House movement becoming public in the gay community, like the gay community, I'm saying that's not the, the best label for it. Um, <laughs> but these labels help people make sense of things that are alien to them. Um, I think that's why we're so obsessed with them. Yeah. And I think when someone doesn't understand someone else, they need to assign a label or a definition to them so they can be like okay I don't understand that person but this is their term and this is the box that they fit into and on a surface level our sexuality is influenced by our sexual orientation and this refers to the standard labels that we give each other like homosexual heterosexual bisexual pansexual and there are many more because language is evolving and our understanding of love and sexuality is evolving but the trouble with some of these terms is that they feel quite rigid and there's not a lot of wiggle room of flexibility, which which is ironic because actually attraction is incredibly fluid. Right, so these labels are meant to be rigid. That is the idea, right? They are almost dichotomous, but typically it was a tripartite nature, right? So there were three parts to it before people started talking about pansexualism, etc. There was heterosexuality, which was the de rigueur, it was the norm. Mm. And the things that were opposing 
that. Like, they became defined by their oppositionary nature to it. So you are homosexual because you are not heterosexual, and you are homosexual because you are not bisexual. It's not taken as this label of, like, hey, these are two men that love men and want to have sexual relationships with men, therefore they are homosexual. They're homosexual because they are not heterosexual, because they are not bisexual. And that is very typical of how, like, the human brain thinks. It likes to think in dichotomies. It likes to think in binary opposition. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do, I mean, I somewhat question these labels. Like, I identify myself as, like, a homosexual man. um, Partly because, like, you know, like... I mean, I love to talk about this, like, really amazing stuff, but, like, I'm, I'm not above it. I'm not this super-evolved creature. I, don't, I think there are very few people that are these super-evolved creatures that have kind of superseded labels. Um, and by identifying as a homosexual man, it is the easiest way for me to make sense of myself, given the society in which I grew up and the cultural norms which I have inherited and I've grown with, um, and also for me to make sense of myself to other people and for other people to make sense of me. Mm. I think that makes a lot of sense, and... There is some comfort in identifying with a group and knowing that's where I belong. The only, I think, the issue is is that when you're growing up and you're, you know, exploring your sexuality and you're exploring sex, if you don't fit into one of those, sometimes people can feel a bit lost. Like, my first sexual experiences were with women. I felt more comfortable. I felt at ease. It just felt more natural to me. Um, and then as I've grown up, I've typically only had relationships with guys you know I've slept with women but for me I feel like I wouldn't identify as queer purely because I don't want to you know take something away from that community because I've never experienced any struggles as a queer woman and I wouldn't want to you know put my hand up and say I'm queer because then I feel like maybe I'm drawing something from that community does that make sense yeah I think there was something I wanted to talk about is like kind of the idea behind queer I I never used this term. I'd never really heard people speaking so much about being queer other than, like, I think my mum's mum calling me a queer, like, when I was talking about being gay. And I think that was very much a term of their generation. This is my mum's mum. She's, like, probably, what, 70? I don't actually know. Like, I really hope she doesn't listen to this. She could be, like, 62, and I'm like, yeah, she's 70. Um, But, so I I looked it up. I looked at the Wikipedia definition, which I think we we all love a a wiki. Um, (laughs) Queer is an umbrella term for sexual and gender minorities who are not heterosexual or are not cisgender. Um, So queer is in this instance anything that differentiates from the norm. Mm. But in like the discourse that's happened over the past couple of years, I think the term queer itself has become extremely loaded beyond that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I don't know enough about that in particular to talk about it. Um, but I do think there is something to people being able to identify however they want to identify and be able to say, do you know what, like I... I don't fit into this discrete box of a heterosexual, cisgendered woman. And I am queer. And I'm going to actually, like, take that a little bit for myself because, mm. again, like, this is this is one of the issues with, with these labels is when you can stand there and you, you have this anxiety about not being able to say that you're queer, like, anxiety, like, also a loaded term, but, like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, you're like, I can't do this because this, this and this. But if you were able to, if you were able to label yourself, there'd probably be a little bit of comfort in it. Do you know what I mean? Like, Definitely. there is a little bit of comfort as being a gay man when you're like, oh, my God, like, you have that revelation, you know, typically, you know, a bunch of gay guys have done some research about it, about, like, when gay men who are, you know, later in their lives identify as homosexual men, 
throughout their throughout their enculturations, throughout growing up in their teen years, will often have like relationships with girls or romances, and like there's this whole this whole period of like becoming, um, and then like one day you're like, oh great, I this am a gay man, I'm a homosexual man, and you're like. This probably doesn't bring comfort to the people around me, but it really <laughs> does bring me some comfort because, you know, now I've got a group. Yeah. I've got a group of people that label themselves in the same way. There are kind of two theories that I love around identity politics and identity theory, and that is the idea of the individual and the individual. So the individual is somebody that can be defined by their relationships to other people. And you see this in some really, really cool... Um, hunter-gatherer societies, the Nyaka Pygmies, um, also in the Congo Basin, where these guys, they, they describe themselves and the way that they identify themselves is based on their relationships to other people. So I am Joe, son of Marie, twin brother to Ellie, friend of Emma. Um, and that is how they go about it. And then you've got the individual. I think we all talk about Western society being very individualistic and people being very somebody But this, this idea of individualism, it's like we build our identity based around the things that we think belong to us or we, we belong to and we ascribe to, right? Throughout your life, that continues. That continues to happen, right? Like, very recently, past six months, I became, like, a wee farmer. Like, I joined this company. That's a huge part of my identity now. Like, talk about myself as working in ag tech. I talk about farmers nonstop, you know? like <laughs> I can attest I, to that. He really yeah, does. <laughs> and, like, when I, when I realised I was, when I realised I was gay and, like, you know, I think don't know if any people anyone did like that extended project at their A levels. Like my whole extended project, this this like little mini dissertation you do about the age of eighteen, seventeen, eighteen, like whole thing revolved around what, what it meant to be gay and the history of the word gay. And then went to university and like could have literally studied anything with this degree in anthropology. Like I had friends that went and did like virology dissertations or friends that like went and studied Burning Man, like kind of regret that one, but you know. Um <laughs> I chose to study like what it one of the one of the lived experience of being a gay man in London. Um, it is a huge part of my identity, and like throughout my life, I will acquire other facets to my identity. Like I'm never going to stop growing, um, and these things will always describe me in some way. Yeah, I'm ferociously nodding because you're just so bloody intellectual. <laughs> yeah. <thanks. laughs> so, one of the. Um... One of the interesting discoveries I had when I was looking for answers on sexuality is the Kinsey scale. And the Kinsey scale suggests that sexuality exists on a spectrum. The scale was created in 1948 to demonstrate that sexuality isn't as binary as the idea of homosexuality in contrast of heterosexuality as you were talking about. And actually, it's the idea that sexuality is fluid and evolves over time. So at different points in your life, you can actually identify at different stages on this on the spectrum, on the scale. So at zero, you've got exclusively heterosexual and then six exclusively homosexual and then in between you've got you know number one which is predominantly heterosexual and only incidentally homosexual I'm just gonna point out i haven't seen the scale for a very long time and <laughs> i i don't actually like it but i just looked at it and there was like that bit that's like you know predominantly heterosexual only incidentally homosexual i thought that said accidentally homosexual <laughs> i'm like well how does that happen um but i think <laughs> i the reason why i liked it is because it presented sexuality in a different way than i'd ever been presented it before and I and I felt like okay there are there are different interpretations of it and that made me feel comfortable because it, you're when you're younger you're just presented with this one black and white idea of what sexuality is and actually now I hope that younger kids actually they've got different ideas because it is changing and language yeah. is evolving for sure that that black and white idea relates back to what I was saying about those binary oppositions that tripart like this or this because you're not that um 
And I'm looking at like the Kinsey scale right now, and like you know, if I if I were like a radical anthropologist, I'd probably be like, well, you know, this idea of a scale, like that's the patriarchy, and somehow relate it back to that. But I'm not going to. I think it's a really, really useful tool for people to to identify with something. Like this tells you, like by looking at this, like actually I am not the only one. And that is a big part of realising one's sexuality at the moment. That pivotal moment where like, you know, obviously we talk about sexuality being fluid and changing other people's lives. But there is that one point where you, your sexuality, your sexual orientation, like, oh, this is this is really where I'm at right now. Like just doing this right now. <laughs> um, for me, that happened at about 16. And, you know, my mum had gay guy friends. My mum had lesbian friends. But like... I still very much felt very alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it is like a hard experience coming to that realisation that, do you know what, like, I'm going to say, like, I'm different. I'm not different to everyone, but I'm different to, to, you know, like, that heteronormative idea. Like, it's never going to be me, my wife, my two kids and a dog. Like, I, Thank God, am I right? Yeah, honestly, like, I really wouldn't. I really wouldn't like that. I would like me and, like, you know, this six foot three guy that I'm going on a date with tonight and our two kids and a dog. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, if, I, if I'm honest, like, it, it is a really lonely journey for many, many people. Um, and I think McKinsey Scale is actually looking at it now. I think it can be somewhat important. And I have very strong opinions on sex education. Oh god, um, that's the that's conversation all yeah. the time, though, isn't like, it? I, mean, I think you know, like we, a lot of people have strong opinions very loosely held. I am not one of these people. I have strong <laughs> opinions very strongly held on many things. Um, I think this should be shown in sex education. Like I really, really think that like people need to be woken up to this idea that we live. In like, and I just think it's always going to be a factor of humankind. Like, we live in a society, we live in a world where something is normal, right? Normal doesn't mean the best. It just means probably the most accepted. Like, when you look at, like, a curve, and anybody that's familiar with data, you have this idea of normalcy. You have that point where the majority of things are gathered. And that is a fact of our society. That is where the majority of things are gathered are within heterosexuality. It might not be hard se- heterosexuality. Some might, you know, be accidentally homosexual every now and <laughs> then. Um, but but it, it is where it is. And, um, you know, realising you're different is a is a tough experience. In any way, like, you're sexuality, realising that your gender isn't the gender that was assigned to you at birth or doesn't really correlate with the sexual organs that you have or, you know, just realising that actually, you know, like, I'm not gay, I'm not straight, I'm, you know, I would be labelled as bi because, you know, like, actually I I like guys and, you know, every now and then I want to do something with a girl. Um, Or, like, I have really strong, intense romantic feelings for girls but I only have sexual feelings for guys, like... That that exists, like, people feel these things and we just don't acknowledge it from a young enough age for that to become a part of this heteronormativity that we live in, that actually we live in a heteronormativity where difference really does exist. Yeah, definitely. And speaking about, you know, at a young age, once, you, once you're assigned or you self-assign a label, then it shapes your formative years. Like, something that we often speak about as friends is the fact that, you know, if you're heterosexual, you're just assumed to be heterosexual and you never have to come out. But if you're anything that you say differs from the norm, then it's expected that you will come out and announce to the world, I am different to what the norm is. And that in itself, I've always thought is a little bit fucked up because you shouldn't have to tell everyone I'm gay or I'm bisexual or pansexual or whatever you assign because 
actually you you're natural you're who you are and there's no need for everyone else to accept you because it's just reality and it's and it's your own self-identity yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna quickly like go back a step on that as well and i tell you what one of the worst things is is when other people tell you who you are like i remember throughout my childhood my mum asking me so many times like are you gay i mean it was probably quite obvious i literally came out of the womb with like an iced latte or something like do you know what i mean <laughs> i'm actually drinking one right now but um my mum always used to ask this and it used to really rile me up and I would have such strong anger against it. Um, and at school, you know, you've got people telling you you're gay uh, in a very pejorative way. Like, honestly, like, if I wouldn't choose to be anything other than gay, like, I feel actually truly blessed to be a gay man. hundred percent. Like, let's just great. let's just stop there for a second. In terms of, like, what is the hierarchy oh. in life? Let's be honest. Gay guys are at the top. Like, I thought this for ages. I'm being, being very facetious here, but it, it, of course. it is, it is, you know, like, the style, the class, the freedoms, the way that they... The crazy the way, techno yeah. raves in a warehouse yes. in Tottenham. Like, the way that you, you know can just I mean? express your sexuality and sleep with people at, literally at your fingertips. I think that's incredible. And you can have, like, you know what, like, I have a group of, like, straight friends, like, mostly, like, most of them came out of uni. But I have this bond with my group of gay guy friends that when I tell my, my straight guy friends about this, they're like, what the fuck is that? They're like, <laughs> how do you get this? Like, it's actually, like, true, like brotherhood with mm. these people that you are like in no way blood related to you know like I mean some of the people in my group have slept together and you know like some things have happened there but like not me um, and um, like you just have this insane brotherhood and like yeah and uh, kind of gone off topic but like that—that that is I really do love being gay man I wouldn't change it I do wish that people when I was growing up hadn't told me what I was um, because when I came out, my mum's kind of, my mum kind of did this like I told you so thing, and oh, I was like, right, bitch, fuck. <laughs> like literally, shut the fuck up, Marie. I've had enough. Like <laughs> you've been telling me this for about five years now. It's my turn to tell you. Like it is my, it's my thing. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I have four siblings. Like this was my thing. Like none of them can have it. <laughs> and you know my my little brother, like bless him, he's quite chubby. I really hope he doesn't become a gay man because we'll have to lose a fair bit of weight. Oh my god, point. I saw the funniest meme the other day that was like, um, "You have to audition to be gay," and mm. it's oh. just just a funny take on the fact that you know it is a it is a sexuality that I think are really like. Um, they've really taken back their, their own world and it's and it's very I mean, unique. There, within the gay community, there are so many kind of subcultures. I also have this issue with the term community, but that's like a whole other topic. Um, but like, there are so many subcultures. There are things based around subversion to the heteronorm and then things that are based around subversion to the homo norm that we've created. And I did make this joke about my little brother needing to lose weight. Um, I don't think he has to. He just really should cut out the sausage rolls. But um, <laughs> ultimately, like, it is a very diverse community and, like, the different body shapes, the different sizes, you know, like, you've got, you know, your huge muscle daddies with their tops off dancing in, like, a, a hot box. And then you've got, like, people like me, like, small blonde people that are often called twinks, which I, I kind of refute that label. But, um, yeah. you know, like, there are so many different typographies of a gay man. And, like, it's so great because I think there's no ideal beauty standard in the gay community that each one person has, right? Because our community is still being formed, it's still fragmented. Around the world, like, you know, there are different beauty standards in heterosexual culture as well. Um, but for gay men, like, within London, you see it massively. Like, different people are so attracted to different people. Uh, I really love that. 
And yeah. I think, like, you know, maybe we are the next step in evolution. Like, the world's population is growing quite quickly. Um, <laughs> like, it's such a vibrant... Of what I know of it, because obviously it's not my own community, but it's such a vibrant, diverse community that just... You know, they just it just seems so full of life whenever I interact with it. Yeah, I, I was at uh, this talk in New York back in July, and I was, I was talking about um, condoms and intimacy in the gay community. Um, and I was so in awe at the number of like heterosexually identifying people that were there that had these insanely inquisitive questions which I loved and those people are called in my opinion they're called allies and I think one thing I love about the gay community is like they will fully let anyone participate in it like you know like there are queer spaces so I'm gonna look at the queer community there's there are queer spaces that exist like club nights etc like uh, it was at this hanks event with emma the other night talking about like sex ed for adults um and i met this girl called rally who somehow knew one of my friends <laughs> from hong kong it was like this it's weird mind-blowing thing like that international world and she was like got chatting she's like what are you doing this weekend i was like i'm just gonna, gonna go to this this rave in hackney and she's like oh my god i love that place and, like it's a very family a queer space you know what i mean like you've got drag queens drag kings like you know i think i was going like, a crop top um <laughs> and like it, it's a queer space and like people are allowed to fully show up and participate whoever they are um you know you're not necessarily identifying as a gay person or a queer person but like you're still allowed in. Like, we don't say no. It's not an old boys club. It's not like trying to go to the West India club <laughs> and St. James's as a gay man, which I can tell you doesn't always go down too well. <laughs> um, like, we're so accepting and so lovely. Right, so now for the fun part of the... Well, the funner part of the episode, we've got a Knickerbox raffle here. So reach in and pick out two or three questions. You can veto one if you like. Okay, one... Two, three. What does it say? Okay, here's the first. Um, if you could go back in time and change one thing, what would it be? Oh. It's going to get a bit emotional, really, couldn't it? Yeah, bring it 100%. out. 100%. Um, okay, so I was in a very long-term relationship, nearly three years, up until last August, um, with this really amazing guy, um, we got on so well. Uh, it was super close with him, super close with his family, like on the bridge of basically, you know, we were kind of living together. Um, and all of a sudden I just had gone on this like little journey of discovery. I'd started going clubbing again, you know, it was always a bit well, but it kind of just toned down in our relationship. And I'd started going to different clubs. I started going to these raves in East London. I'd started really experiencing what, you know, it means to kind of be this, this, um, typified queer kind of party person like you know um not xxl firmly not xxl well that's just shut down thank god um but um yeah i was really really enjoying exploring my the social component of my sexuality um and i i loved this guy still love him to this day um and i started to think that like this these doubts came into my mind that there was like this isn't all that I can be like I, I'm not supposed to just wake up like this every single day with him and you know there were also other issues in our relationship but the biggest thing that got me was just like oh my god I've never I've never been out there I've never like properly dated I've never explored my sexuality like I was with him for a very long time from a kind of really youngish age and it just got me um and then you know he did something to really piss me off I think he was supposed to come home after he'd just come back from New York and 
he'd like swerved me in in our apartment building and gone out with his friends instead. And like it, I am quite short tempered. <laughs> I'm not a jealous person, but I'm very short tempered. And like if people make plans, I expect them to stick to them. That's um, just human just decency, for, though. For babe. any future husbands listening to this, um, <laughs> Alex. Um, and so you know. I literally got home and he just smelled like gin. And doing that smell of alcohol in someone else's breath when you haven't been drinking yourself. Like, I'd had, like, a bottle of wine, but that's, like, different. That's okay. not really alcohol. Um, <laughs> Joe is literally a functioning alcoholic. And, He's like, I haven't drunk, but I had some wine. And, no, so he got home and I literally just woke up next to him. And I was like, I'm so... I just remember, I literally, I was like, I'm so dreadfully unhappy. Oh, babe. And I just left. Moved all of my stuff out within, like, two days. Um, the douchebag kind of let me leave with like you know the giant Selfridges bags like four of those a giant suitcase and it didn't help me down and I was like you know what I'm done with you um, if there were one thing I could change I would have stuck it out a little bit longer um, for my own peace of mind now mm. you know it probably still would have broken up with him because like ultimately I can do better um, but um, but um, for my own peace of mind now <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's like it's like you've you you've forgotten that we're not a so house of a couple of gronies. We're actually recording a podcast session. No. He's going to listen to this. No, he's not. He really can listen to it. It's nothing I've not told him. I know. I just just love the brutal honesty. No, but I, if that, if there was one thing I could change, it would be that. And in the interest of being honest, it's that is yeah. It's my thought process. I'm glad you got it out, babe. <laughs> Favorite date spot. God. So I've been a bit of a serial dater this year. Um, <laughs> so last Friday, I texted him like, oh, what are you doing tonight? He said, oh, I've um, got plans, babe. I've got three dates. I was like intrigued to know how exactly he was going to fit three dates into the space of one evening. But he did it. I did it. Tell us. Um, Share your secrets. No. So um, I am very precious about sex. Um, sex to me is like very important. So like necessarily going on a date doesn't mean I'm going to sleep with somebody. And I really think there is something great about just meeting people for a drink or a coffee. And like, you know, it's a date, like getting to know each other. Like we're probably both quite attracted to each other. What we've spoken about already, like where we've met before at a party or if, you know, we've been speaking on like Hinge, my favourite one. Um, <laughs> like, you know, it's the, there is something there. And like, you just, just had a couple of drinks with different people. Uh, and it wasn't just Friday evening. I had like, you know, it started about four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, but yeah, that, that's how I did it. But my favorite date spot, and like, thank you to everyone that has come on several dates with me over the past year. Um, <laughs> particularly if you've made it past like number two. Um, thanks um, to the guy that ghosted me a couple of weeks ago. Fuck you. Thanks. Uh, first experience being ghosted. You're a real twat. Um, <laughs> going bald. Um, but um, my favorite date spot. Um, it kind of depends. Like, so I used to have this really my actual favorite first date spot was this coffee shop on Old Wompton Road in South Kensington, where I had a ton of memories. Like, had had my first kiss there, and I've taken about three guys there in my entire life, um, which sadly closed down. Um, yeah, um, oh. um, <laughs> look at the fields. Um, but other than that, I. I really, like, enjoy dates that aren't centred around anything, like just going for a walk mm. with somebody, like grabbing a coffee, going for a nice walk. 
went on a date that was a bike ride once. I really, really enjoyed that, but I did get quite competitive. And how do you even speak to them if you're both? Uh, well, you're kind of not like you like we cycle. Like, we cycled to like Richmond Park from Clapham together. Mm. He was a Clapham gay, um, which is probably why it didn't work out. Um, <laughs> so we cycled to Richmond Park together. Then we just like wandered around the park for a bit. Um, Sounds lovely. lovely. Sorry, Clapham gay. You've all got lovely arms. Um, my favourite second date, I love to cook. I really enjoy cooking for people. So, my home, their home, like wherever it is, as long as you know you have like more than one pot and pan, like it's all good. Mm. What, what's your favourite meal to cook a guy? Uh, I mean, I literally do really make an amazing truffle pasta um, or shakshuka, either or. Breakfast. Yeah, breakfast, dinner. Like breakfast. you can make it for dinner as well. Uh, you know, I travel pasta for dinner. Actually, for breakfast, depending on how well it goes. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, is, that is that. Okay, I've got got a third one. Who is your empowerment crush? I'm going to veto this one because I don't really have anything funny to say on that one. Okay, or hi. anything particularly real. Um, <laughs> Just move it along. Moving it along. Doing this right now, Emma. There's a duplicate question here. Is that one about going back in time again? Yeah, well, <laughs> try, I had to pad it out. Just trying to, <laughs> just trying to trigger me. Um, um, best thing about being a woman in 2019. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't know, babe. Um, yeah, I haven't had a chance to filter these. I just picked up the box. What would you say is the best thing about being a woman in 2019? Um. I think the best thing about women in 2019 is that we are being listened to. Like, you know, progress is progress is slow and obviously there are within within the world of being a woman, there are several groups who are still being silenced, like trans women of colour, for example. But for me myself, obviously having white privilege, you know, using a platform like this podcast to talk about things that matter to me, that's a great thing. And then hopefully amplifying some other voices mm. and using that privilege to amplify those voices. Um, I really love women. Um, <laughs> you love I me. I really do. I love you. I love other women. I used to work for an amazing female CEO um, called Rachel Carroll. It's a great company called Coro Kids who just closed a really amazing investment round. Like, always in awe of this woman who manages to be, like, a mother to two and, like, go out there and raise, like, this huge Series A round, like, one of the largest in Europe. And, mm. like, you go, girl. Um, one of my yeah. favourite things about working at that company was working for a woman. Um, yeah, I think we're always redefining the rules yeah. in our own world. And that's that's incredible because 50 years ago we couldn't do that. Yeah. Um, if any venture capitalists are listening, the next step in upping your diversity game is investing in women of colour. I know of one black female CEO in the UK that's received venture capital investment. Yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah, I mean, um, and you I'm could saying invest guys in... because most of you are men. <laughs> like Farah Kabir, yeah. our co-founder. Exactly. Come on, guys. Yeah. Do um, better. Be better. Okay, wait, I've got a question here which I which I quite like. A bit, a bit fluffy. Um, what does freedom mean to you? That's not fluffy. Kind of is. I feel I feel extremely free um, and liberated, um, like sexually, in my work life, in my personal life. I think freedom to me, because of that actually, probably allows me to answer this question. I think freedom is having the ability to be who you want without fear of repercussion, in any sense of the word, like being able to arrive and fully show up. Um, 
I think it's it's super important to be able to express oneself in whichever ways one wants to without anybody else judging. Or if you're going to judge, do it internally. Don't open your mouth. Um, and I, I mean, everyone's mother said to them at some point, or father or whoever just said, like, you know, you've got nothing to nice to say. Say nothing at all. Like, honestly, like, people really need to practice that one because that will allow people to feel freer. Um, and for me, just having, like, autonomy in my life, like, autonomy at work... You know, being able to kind of work flexibly, mm. um, come and do things like this during my working day. Um, and just be able to wake up and be like, do you know what? Like, I am accountable to myself, no one else. I'm going to do what I want to do in whichever way I want to do it. Um, obviously, I have responsibilities. I'm a fully grown adult sometimes. Um, you're, yeah. a, you're a wise old bird, aren't you, Joe? I'm trying, babe. You are really a wise, trying. wise bird. Um, thanks. An owl, I'd say. Thanks, hun. Yeah, this new haircut. <laughs> um, and yeah. that's that's it for today. Thanks, babe. Thanks for joining me. Really happy to have been here. The groanies on me next time. Yeah. Thanks so much for tuning in, lovely listeners. Stay sweet. Speak soon. <laughs>